Welcome back into the DFA. My name is Zach, joined once again by my long lost love, Raven. Welcome back. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Doing good. Right on. Well, today, nice and simple, we're going to run through some picks for the divisional round in the NFL and then move on to all-star voting, which actually closes tomorrow evening. So if you care all to put in a vote, tomorrow is the last day. We're going to run through the starters and the reserves, give thoughts on all parts of the different teams, some snubs, so on and so forth. And then next week, packed with the the championship rounds coming up and then all-star selections actually being announced. But for the divisional rounds, going back to the wild card, actually, uh, Raven kicked my ass because I foolishly believed that the Rams, well, the Rams I felt justified in, but I believed that the Eagles and the Cowboys weren't a joke. So Raven went five and one. Oh, yeah. And I went three and three, which hurts. I was saved only by the fact that I picked the Texans. So moving on to this week, however, four slates of games. The Texans were in central time zone. They're playing at 330 against the best team in the NFL. Hilarious. But aside from them getting relegated to the drag spot, um, with Lamar's playoff demons, this becomes a referendum on his career at this point, in my mind, because you go back to his first MVP season when I believe that was the game that they lost to the Titans, uh, the Derrick Henry jump pass towards the end when the Titans made that run to the AFC Championship game. And that's in the back of everyone's mind because unlike Purdy, who hasn't been doing this long enough to have any playoff demons, unlike Stroud, certainly, but just looking at the rest of the field, I mean, what does Baker have to prove besides whether or not he is going to start next year? Mahomes... Hardy has two rings. I suppose the only other person besides Lamar is Josh Allen, but I don't think like I don't think anyone places those losses at Allen's feet in the way they do Lamar. Now, you could assert that that is due to a lot of different reasons, but I think that people are more willing to do it for Lamar. Partially because I do genuinely believe Allen is a better quarterback. Don't get me wrong. But in those games, he has shown up to a lesser degree. I also think that Lamar just gets more unfairly criticized. And I do think some of that comes down to social elements that are often unfair and go back to the draft when he was told to be a running back. But ultimately, win this game, hell, make the Super Bowl and those go away. And I think Lamar is viewed a lot differently both as just quote-unquote, a winner, and then, I don't know, credit to Todd Monk, and this offense has been infinitely better than the one we saw even last year, and I am excited to hear that Greg Roman might not actually get the Bears job because he almost single-handedly has completely shifted the narrative on one of the best young quarterbacks that we have. On the other side, if Sorrell wins this game... The, the only other two rookie seasons that are comparable in my mind are Luck, who set rookie records at the time before they were broken by Mayfield a few years later, and then Herbert as far as touchdowns and yards go. But Luck completely turning around the Colts after they win two games in order to draft him. Stroud, same deal. I mean, and could have been worse because the Texans won that meaningless game to actually lose the number one pick. Stroud comes in. Credit to Ryan's, credit to that defense for reforming itself around Will Anderson, Derek Stingley, 
offensive line for holding up, so on and so forth. If he wins this game, I think it's him and Marino and then everyone else because if C.J. Stroud makes the Super Bowl, like, it's not even a question. And Marino is his only historical counterpart in that sense. So he has nothing to lose, everything to gain, and he just legitimizes the Texans more and more in a way that makes me believe that they can make real additions because, like, just from how his teammates react, I think people want to play with C.J. Stroud. I think Nico Collins, I think Tank Dell, I think everyone on that team loves him. Uh, a few months ago, reading a story out of the athlete, I forget who wrote it, forgive me, but you you hear a lot of the same stuff that you hear about the, I, I don't want to say the Bradys, but like more like the Lamars, where it's just, or even despite their the disparity in their production, like someone like Justin Fields, where it's like across the board, whether you want him to be the quarterback or not, in the case of someone like Fields, or whether or not you think that he is in the upper echelon, like someone like Lamar, everyone on the team fucking loves him. And that cannot go understated. So everything to gain for CJ. Marlon Humphrey's out. Mark Andrews is questionable. And the line on this game right now is Baltimore by nine and a half. So, and that's after, that's with Humphrey's injury being factored in. So look, I'm, again, this is kind of why I picked the Eagles and the Cowboys. So maybe I'm foolish in doing so. I think that the Texans will actually be able to move the ball on this team, particularly without Humphrey. I don't think it will be enough, though. So I'm going to take the Ravens, and I assume that you will take your namesake as well, right? Yeah, I just, like you were saying, Texans, just a little bit, I don't know how I feel, but the Ravens, yeah, Lamar has his history, and this is a huge point for his career. And his uh, 30 to 60 Uncrustables a day. Jesus. What? Did you not hear about this? No. He came out in an interview and was like, yeah, I eat 30 to 60 Uncrustables a day. When? I think this was like a last week. Which which Uncrustable? The peanut butter and jelly ones. How many calories are... Oh, my God. In a peanut butter... Uncrustable. 210. So that can't be true. Raven's eating. Is he eating 6,000 calories of Uncrustable per day? Apparently, the entire franchise reportedly eats 7,500 in a season between 30 and 60 a day. Well, the entire franchise eats 30 to 60 a day. Yes, but. Okay. The way that the initial uh, six thousand calories of Uncrustable is like, that's like that's how fuel, baby. That's that's Lamar Odom just eating jelly beans before playoff games. Okay. Anyway, tangent aside. Packers at 49ers. Packers are in kind of the same boat as the Texans, really. Like, they don't have anything to lose, and. In much the same way as the as the Texans, like they stand the same level of chance where it's just their quarterbacks are on the type of run and had strikingly similar stat lines last game that reflect how far they've developed this season. In Love's case, even more dramatically so, going from a point where I think one of the first podcasts we did, I asked you, do you think Jordan Love is good? Yeah. And I think you said no. And now 
oops, but like he didn't prove it yet. He improved. And he, he improved, but I was like also saying like that was right before you know the losses, the almost losing to Carolina, losing to the Buccaneers, and then losing to the Eagles. I mean, the Panthers one was later, but yes. Point remains. They were struggling. It did not seem like they were a playoff team. And we had those valid questions. He's proven it in the same way that CJ has. It just took him the course of the entire season. But he he looks like his predecessor now, and that is a credit to upset potential here. They have the same line as the Texans do against the Ravens, nine and a half, and I think that's appropriate. But on the other side, how good does Purdy really need to look for us to have confidence against a Super Bowl opponent? Because likely, as it stands, you're going to go up against one of the Ravens, the Texans, or the Bills, or not the Texans, the Ravens, the Chiefs, or the Bills. Sorry, Texans. Up against those, I think that we have no concerns that any of those except the Ravens are historic defenses that will gum up Purdy's weapons in a way that will prevent this offense from functioning. But if anyone on the offensive line gets banged up, if Purdy starts to have a snowball game like he did against the Ravens the first time, there is a weakness here. And I do not subscribe to the fact that Purdy is just upheld by all these weapons. I think that to function, even with players this good, you have to be at least decent yourself. So I'm not going to try and perpetuate that. But I do think we need to see, like, one of the stat lines that we saw from Stroud or Love or Josh Allen last week to have full confidence that this team can beat either the Bucks or the Lions. And then I think that if they look competent or, like, dominant, especially against someone like the Lions going into the Super Bowl, it'll be dead even between them and the Ravens. I think it's kind of... They're at the point where now things are getting serious and I don't want to say make or break time, but essentially, it yeah, it is. Well, and this is like I talk about a referendum on on Lamar. It's also a referendum on Kyle Shanahan on the other side because it, they, yeah. this is their first time where I'm fairly confident. You know, I can't guarantee anything because look at some of the games last week, but I'm fairly confident to say I will pick the Niners to go through at least to the Super Bowl. And the last time they were there, it was with Jimmy G and some of the same players. They didn't get it done then. They are in a much better situation now just with their talent and their opposition. So Purdy, again, has a lot to gain by proving himself to be someone worth an extension that we're talking about for the guys like Tua, where... It's like you can say, hey, Purdy is limited, or hey, he just fits into the system. But if he fits into a system that can win a Super Bowl, then give him the money. So without a doubt, I'm taking the Niners. I I mean, if you want to go homer, I won't blame you. I'm going to go homer just because. But Let me catch up. That's nice. Yeah. I appreciate that. I don't know. I feel like... Look, I think that the... I think that the final score of the Cowboys game, them giving up 32 points, does not actually tell you how well the defense played. But I don't trust Joe Barry to perform well against Kyle Shanahan. Fair. I'm giving that to you. I also know that the 49ers have been the Packers' kryptonite 
since I was a kid. So, yeah, I'm just really hoping we can beat them just as like a personal thing. But I don't care if the Packers win the Super Bowl. This is our Super Bowl in this sense. Uh, you've had a good starter for 30 years. I don't care if you win or not. Bucks at Lions. On the Bucks side, again, team after team that just does not have much left to prove. Is Baker just a legit playoff starter now? And then also, how do we grade this Bucks season, whether they win or not? I think it's pretty close to an A+. Just not only to win their terrible division, by the skin of their teeth, but to win their terrible division and then go post a game against the Super Bowl champions last year and win. Look, if you put in the context of how the Eagles played down the stretch and the weakness of the NFC South... Like, it becomes less impressive, but Baker Mayfield won a playoff game. Your defense completely shut down the team that won the Super Bowl last year. In the annals of history, this is an A++. In the reality of this season, A, A-. If they win this game, if they beat the Lions, like, no doubt, massive success. And I think Baker is the starter without a doubt next year. I think that's probably the case this time. The Bucks are going to be in the 20s in the draft, like, they, unless they want to draft someone like McCarthy or like way overdraft someone like McCarthy or Penix or Knicks, I don't see them really rushing to replace Baker. So at that point, uh, at receiver, uh, I know some guys that might be available later, or you could even move up when you're that far down in the draft, get someone like a Brian Thomas out of LSU at around Baker, which I know is crazy to say, but at around Baker, keep augmenting the pass rush and who knows? Maybe you get lucky again next year and you, again, like, it's not like the Lions are unimpeachable. They have a Super Bowl offense, but the defense is questionable. The, again, it was the ailing Philly defense, but they just dropped 30 on their heads. What's to say that they can't do it against a Lions offense that does not rank much higher than the Eagles over the last few weeks? The Lions, again, kind of in the same boat where they've already had a successful season by breaking their playoff drought and by winning the division and by winning a playoff game. But everyone thinks that they should win this game, and if they don't, it'll it'll creep back into the back of people's minds, oh, this is still the Lions. Oh, it's still Jared Goff. So Goff, the Lions, they have a chance to completely avail themselves of any of the Detroit stink. And then Bucks and Baker have a chance to prove that this is not a fluke and that they deserve to win that division, and that they will deserve to win it next year. That said, I have to take the Lions. I am agree with you there. I'm full Lions for this team. And I don't think, like you were saying, I don't know how you're going to grade the Bucks season this year, but I do think they made the best situation with a misfit group of guys. You know, you're coming off Tom Brady still and all that mishap, but... Just but, two years removed to just two, yeah, to and be like, seventeen and seventeen over the last two years, like, yeah. and making it back to the playoffs. So you got to give it to them that they've done a lot of good, and I do think they deserve definitely an A minus A plus rating for the year. But I think the Lions just kind of have it a little bit more want. They have more motivation for sure. They definitely do, and so, and with Dan Campbell just being the crazy lunatic that he is. I don't know. I think I support the Lions here. Did he? Uh, I love him. He's, he's just going so back funny. through even some of the stuff they said. There was a, a story I heard about 
I think, oh God, one of Dick, uh, Dan Campbell's linebackers coach, uh, one of his linebacker coaches played with Campbell in the NFL and had uh, dreads when he was going to start interviewing for coaching jobs. And he actually asked Dan Campbell, should I cut my dreads to improve my chances? He's like, no, you got to where you are by being who you are. Don't stop that for anything. And then when Dan Campbell got a head coaching job, he hired him. That's like, sick. Like, it's stuff like that where... Just good person It's also vibes. the... Uh, well, no, it's it's the very, it's sometimes it's hokey. Don't get me wrong. Going back to the his first press conference, but it works. And if you have people that are willing to buy in, this is why people uh, loved Pete Carroll at first. Like, if you have people to buy into your philosophy, however hokey or granola-y that it might seem, which is funny to say for someone who looks like Dan Campbell, it it can work. And for that reason, I appreciate him. And then Todd Bowles. Especially underrated. I'm glad that he's going to keep his job. Finally, Chiefs at Bills. I know that it's not the same thing because they're in the same conference, but I kind of think of this as our modern football Cavs Warriors because this is what, including the regular season, we're going into the fifth, sixth time of this matchup where they trade back and forth during the regular season. The Bills have more of a shot, really, because they have not been able to overcome the Chiefs in the playoffs, going back to the seven seconds game. The Chiefs are the Bills' boogeyman, and the Bills are the Chiefs' greatest competition within their own conference up to this point. This year, it's the Ravens, but go across the last five years, do it in aggregate. These are the two AFC powerhouses, and this is the Bills' best chance. They're playing at home. They ostensibly are playing better on both sides of the ball. And I don't know if the Chiefs have figured out enough in the receiving core to post a credible threat. We talked about it earlier this week, where if Rasheed Rice comes out and is the dominant force that he was last game, and if Stephon Diggs continues to be the the 50-yard merchant that he's been, then this becomes a lot tighter on offense. And then if you're talking about if you're talking about a battle of primarily the secondaries, because for all his warts, Josh Allen does not take a lot of sacks. And for as much struggle as there has been, and there's been a lot of malcontent for Mahomes and everything he's had to deal with, he also doesn't. That's one of his superpowers, the ability to always evade pressure by just enough. It's going to come down to secondaries. I like the Chiefs secondary more. So that is my two main watching points going in. Who is performing better against the opposing secondary? And how is Stefan Diggs looking? Because they need a big game out of him. At least better than he's been doing, because otherwise Mahomes in the playoffs, I I can't well bet against. I'm going to take the Chiefs because up to this point, in the same way that I think some people are going to doubt the Ravens if they win going into the next round, I I cannot believe the Bills until they do it. As much as I've been singing their praises coming to this game, I am very concerned about Diggs and Allen having to rely on everyone else against their biggest opponent of the year. Yeah, I think you're speaking to the choir there. The Bills, I mean, they've been good. Allen's been good. 
they face their struggles every single year. They're finally healthy. They get back to the same spot they most do. of the time. But even over the course of this season, winning their last five. It's similar to Lamar, where it's like this is the time where these quarterbacks need to be doing stuff. You know, your Allens and it's the not Jacksons. Like, and it's like, not like Allen hasn't done it before. No. It's just it hasn't been enough. And look, I know I'm I'm betting towards history, and maybe that is just me taking putting too much too much into the past and taking too much account for prior games when football is a very mercurial game any given Sunday, yada, yada, yada. But Mahomes, when I am in doubt, I'm going to take Patrick Mahomes in the same way that for 20 years when we were in doubt, we took Tom Brady. Good. I like that. So you take Chiefs too? Yeah. Right on. Well, We'll be right back here in a minute. We're going to go through our all-star teams and then get up on out of here. All right, we'll be right back. All right, we are back, everyone. Okay, moving on. All-star voting in the NBA closes tomorrow evening, so we're going to run through that. But first, since trades have happened since we last spoke and because a trade that didn't matter happened since before we last spoke uh first and least the pistons and the wizards make the trade of the century to send danilo gallinari and mike muscala of thunder's legend danilo gallinari of the famous seven points per game for the venerable marvin bagley and isaiah levers plus Future irrelevant draft considerations. Um, who cares? But primarily, I mentioned this because Bagley played really well last night. The Pistons only lost by seven to the Timberwolves. Uh, they looked pretty good. So I, I appreciate the opportunity for someone like Bagley who was not viewed well because he struggled in Sacramento and was drafted before Luka. And then... He also was put into that massive center rotation for the Pistons that has drowned out several people or at least diminished their roles in both Jalen Duren and Isaiah Stewart, the latter of whom I am much cooler on than the former. But for him to come in immediately and put up, I think, like 21, three blocks, two steals, look... I'm not saying that he's actually going to become something, but on the Wizards, he has more of a chance to play and to perform than he ever would on the Pistons. So good for him. And plus, the vibes are about 2% better, even though he does have Jordan Poole as a teammate. Other side, much more importantly, the Raptors and the Pacers. The Raptors receive Bruce Brown, Kira Lewis by the Pelicans, Jordan Nawara, Two first-round picks from the Pacers, and then also a conditional first-round pick from the Pacers. And the Pacers obviously receive Siakam, and then a second-round pick from the Pelicans as a rerouting of Kira Lewis, yada yada. It allowed Indiana to match Siakam's salary without including another player, and it lets New Orleans move off a player that they weren't playing anyway. Who I actually like. I liked him out of Alabama. Maybe he'll get a chance to play now that the rotation has freed up a little bit. But Halliburton is hurt right now. 
I see Siakam, especially as a guy who is a versatile defender, who has struggled from three this year, but can definitely run up and down the floor in a way that Indiana would require, and someone who fits next to Miles Turner, even as someone who's suffering from three, because Turner himself can hit a shot. And Siakam, in the past, has been a good spot-up guy. So if he finds it even a little bit, which, look, playing with Tyrese Halliburton, who isn't going to shoot better? So I think defensively, it is exactly what they need, and someone who slots in perfectly over someone like Obi Toppin, who couldn't stop a nosebleed. And, I mean, they gave up Bruce Brown, who hasn't been Nuggets Bruce Brown, and was ultimately just salary flotsam that was intended for a deal like this, and Jordan Nuora, who can shoot and do nothing else. If you're going to be good for the next few years, who gets shit about those picks, too? I don't know what you think. But yeah, I, mean, I love it. I think Pacers definitely needed another piece, and I was hoping for Siakam to get out of Toronto, personally, just because I like him, and he's a good player and deserves to play somewhere else. Um, we talked about this on Tassos' show yesterday, the Daily Hockey Show, with our guest, who does some basketball for Canada sports teams. So, yeah, go check that out. That was really cool. He had a lot of yeah. insight that I'm not going to remember or say right. So, yeah, go check that out. Yeah, those picks are going to be Indiana's own this year, which, if you're Toronto, if, if Halliburton stays out for longer than intended. Soft to shoe injuries generally take longer to heal than often expected. And let's say he comes back and he's a little slow or he's banged up and they fall off down the stretch. Whole lot of reasons that that pick could quickly become into the lottery. And that's just adding to this young court that you're trying to build out. On the other side, it is the worst of Utah, Houston, Oklahoma cities and the Clippers because it's one of those picks that has been passed around like a white elephant. So whatever is the like the highest number in the draft of Utah, Houston, Oklahoma City, and L.A., which will probably be the Clippers. And then a 2026 Pacers pick, but it's protected 1-4. to four. So as long as Halliburton stays healthy and the majority of this Indiana core stays together, picks probably aren't going to be amazing. This year is your best chance to have a decent one. But since you're just trying to fill up, I think you have your, at least your 1B in Scotty. And so now it's just about whether through deals, similar to this one, or by getting lucky in the draft, you just need to add one more guy and you're adding more and more chances to get that one guy. So as a team that is like retooling more than rebuilding and got guys like Quickly and Barrett in there too to see what they can become and see if they can become tertiary or maybe maybe like low secondary type of players on a good team I think it makes sense and ultimately you got what six picks for OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam plus RJ Barrett Emmanuel quickly and then Bruce Brown I mean Norris cool he just scores like six points a game so I approve I think that Siakam will star there, and I think that he will be more comfortable on offense to getting fed by guys like Halliburton. Without further ado, West starters for the 2024 All-Star Game. Before we run through 
I did want to take a look because I sometimes think it is informative to look at all-star teams the year prior and just like see how they inform the present. So last year, we had Giannis and LeBron were the two leading vote-getters. Between them, I'm just reading off their teams, so apologies that it's not going in direct east-west order, but Lori Markadon, Luka Doncic, Donovan Mitchell, Joel Embiid, John Morant, Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, Nikola Jokic as the starters. And then as reserves, Bam Adebayo, Jalen Brown, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Anthony Edwards, DeMar Rosen, De'Aaron Fox, Drew Holiday, Paul George, Damian Lillard, Tyrese Halliburton, Demontis Sabonis, Jaron Jackson, Pascal Siakam, Julius Randle, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Zion Williamson. I believe at least four of these people are not going to end up on it, and I think five aren't on five or six aren't on the team that I made. I know one of them that isn't is on Ravens. Anyway, in the backcourt, I think it's kind of unimpeachable that it's Shea and uh, Luca. Statistically, they've been dominant. They have been healthy. They have led their team to offensive heights that they otherwise would not be remotely capable of. Just looking at their overall ratings, like the Mavericks are barely above the uh, the break-even point as far as overall net rating goes, but they're eighth in offense by the same token. The Thunder are great at everything, but third on offense. Shea is, again, averaging over 30 and looks like the best guard in the league on most nights. I know that Luka is also considered in that conversation, but like he's a swing man, whatever. I don't want to get into that argument. Luka is listed as a backcourt player, therefore Luka is a backcourt starter. Rest of the way, I said Kawhi, who, as the Clippers have gone on their run since trading for Harden and finally getting comfortable with him, he has been the best player on that team and looks like his old self. Sometimes it does look a little LeBron-ish where it's not defensive player of the year, 35 minutes a game, he is shutting down the opponent's best player, but pretty close. And then on offense, he has been as impressive as we have ever seen him, reminding me of mostly the Raptors year because I think that was probably his most his most sterling achievement in the regular season. He's shooting 52% from the field and 44 from three, which is a, I'm going to correct myself if I'm wrong, he's shooting a career high from three outside of 2015 when he was taking overall less shots and scoring less points. So, ostensibly the best that we could have hoped from him, and he stayed relatively healthy. And I think that for someone like Kawhi, that's also, one, amazing to watch, but two, when he is on and playing and healthy, he is easily one of the five best players in the Western Conference. Anthony Davis in the other spot, a Laker was going to be in here. I think AD has been more valuable than LeBron. And then Jokic rounding out the top five. Raven, who do you have? My West starters are the exact same as yours. That's cute. All right. Going through the reserves, there is some variance in here, and this is where I expect to be wrong on at least one of these, both from a combination of fan interest and I maybe coach. For the two, for anyone who doesn't know, all-star reserves follow a similar format to the starters where you can have two backcourt members 
three front court members, meaning forwards and centers, and then two wild cards that can be any position. So, backcourt. Steph Curry, who, despite the Warriors' struggle, has still been statistically and personally dominant. He is one of the six best players alive and has played like it. He's here. Anthony Edwards is on one of the three best teams in the Western Conference and playing the best ball of his career and looks like the alpha on a team that might make the Western Conference Finals. He's here. KD, statistically, again, kind of the same boat as Steph, where despite their struggles and the tumult happening in Phoenix on certain nights, he's been awesome. LeBron, still producing the same way in year 21. And then Paul George, who, alongside Kawhi, I did consider James Harden. Because, spoiler for the wild cards, I did not put James Harden in here. But I do think you can make an argument based on both raw stats and his impact on the Clippers as a whole. If you want to fight for that, I'm not going to stop you. I think it's reasonable. I just think that someone like George, who has been incredibly efficient from the field, who has played great defense every night, just like Kawhi, and who... As far as player podcasts go, it's one of the less insufferables, so I'm willing to accept it. He's close to 50, 40, 90. He's played 38 games out of 41, 40. He's been durable. It's all that we can ask for Paul George or Kawhi, and that's why they're both here. Wild cards. One, Laurie Markadon, the apparently world-beating Utah Jazz, and Markadon has proven that last year was not a fluke. He is incredible. He is efficient. He is a reminder that the Bulls are everything that you do not want to be in a franchise. Uh, Jim Boylan deserves to be held trial for treason for almost ruining this man's career. 24-9-2. Again, almost 50-40-90 as a 7-footer. He does everything. He plays defense. They just... Oh, my God. Like, even looking at their last five games, 124 points, 145, 132, 132... 129 and a five-point loss to the Thunder. Every other one of those games, they won by at least seven, and then beyond that, by double digits in every other one. He's a positive presence every game. He wasn't even negative and plus-minus when they just lost. He is amazing, and I will never stop singing his praises. Final wild card. I struggled, and I actually did not make a decision on this one. I was caught between Devin Booker who, if he had, hadn't missed nine games, I think I would just pick Alperin Shangun, who has been the star on a Rockets team that has kept its head above water at 19 and 21, despite being a candidate for one of the worst teams in the league coming in. Demonte Sabonis, who's putting up pretty much career numbers across the board. Who you, Did you see how they're going to make like a quarterback doc for, uh, for basketball, for the NBA? No, I did not see that. One of So it was four, uh, the names are escaping me off the top of my head, but Sabonis was one of the five players named for it, and people were like, one of these things is not like the other. Untrue. He is playing amazingly. I, whew, f- it. To that point, I'm going to say Sabonis. My last choice was Towns. I think that having just, having just Anthony Edwards is acceptable in a situation like this. This is not to... Diminished Towns, who I think has played better team ball than at any point in his career. He's shooting over 43% from three, filling his role perfectly in that way, playing better defense next to Gobert than we saw last year, which is huge. 
And again, like Timberwolves have won their last four games. Towns also deserves credit for being durable, but Sabonis has done the same stuff, and I just think he's been more impactful to that Kings team. Do you have any qualms with that, or would you rather take Devin Booker despite the missed games? No, I wouldn't want to take Devin Booker. I would rather take DeMontis Sabonis. Would you take Kylie Jenner, though? No. Okay. East starters. Oh, well, I was going to go through my reserves real I'm quick. sorry. I didn't, um, I didn't know that you had them. I had a few. Um, I don't have, like, the full backcourt, frontcourt wildcard situation, but I just okay, had some okay. names that I liked. Two, two that you have here that I should have said. Um, De'Aaron Fox and Kyrie Irving. Ooh, okay, that's a good point. De'Aaron Fox has been De'Aaron really Fox good has this also, year. De'Aaron Fox has also missed games. Not, True, not but that's, that's why he's on the reserves. That's why he's not a starter. He's missed more than Sabonis, and his scoring has decreased as of more recently, which has led to some ugly results. They lost by they lost to Philly by 20 without Embiid, and in that game, he shot 5 for 15. They lost to at Milwaukee. He had an inefficient 32. I I am still inclined to say Sabonis, but he is another good candidate from that team. I also don't think you can have reasonably have two kings when they haven't been that good. Agreed. Kyrie. Statistically and for how much he means to that Mavericks offense when it has it is at its best humming. There were a few games there where he and Tim Hardaway Jr. were playing well off of each other and both scoring 30 almost every night. Like, I hear you. He's missed too many games, and he's Kyrie Irving. So I think that there's every chance that from a coaching vote perspective, he's so talented that he might get it in any way. I just think that the missed games and his general vibe is too much. Valid. Moving on to the East. So, I did... Halliburton is a starter. I did factor in that he is going to be replaced, so I said that he's going to be replaced by Dane Lillard. The other backcourt spot, I put Tyrese Maxey, who is one of the newcomers here. Maxey, one of the leading on- and off-ball creators in the league, one of the top catch-and-shoot three-point shooters. He has been incredible as a presence post-Harden. It is arguable that the Sixers got better after trading Harden, and that is squarely at the feet of Maxi. They are top seven in both offense and defense, and actually better on defense. Now, their strength of schedule, questionable to this point. Does that affect how I feel about them going the rest of the season? Yes. And will that affect playoff considerations? Of course. But right now, snapshot of the season, all-star voting, Maxi deserves to be here. I also, if we're doing it like prediction-wise and not just how I personally feel, I think that Maxi's going to get him because he's one of those guys like Halliburton whose star has risen a ton this season. Rest of the front court, I don't really think is arguable. Tatum, Giannis, and Embiid, they're the top three in vote getting in real life, and I don't really think you can argue anyone over them, particularly Giannis and Embiid. Montaigne has been amazing himself. The only difference between my starters is instead of Maxi being in the second spot for the backcourt, I have Jalen Brunson. Which I don't hate, honestly. I have Brunson as one of my wild cards. 
Although you, I mean, okay, it's interchangeable. Let's, yeah. I'll just call Brunson the second backcourt member alongside Donovan Mitchell, who the Cavs have won their last six games without Darius Garland, who's broke his face. And I had similar feelings when it was Garland playing without Mitchell, too, where I liked how the Cavs looked a lot despite their struggles to create at the end of games. I think in a solo act, Mitchell honestly might be better prepared. It, it's so confusing because. As backcourt mates, it oftentimes seems clunky because they both want or need the ball. Garland is hypothetically more of a connector and an efficient scorer when he does decide to take the shot and is great himself and deserves to be an all-star consideration when he hasn't missed a bunch of games. Mitchell has been incredible as of late. He is putting up, outside of offense, the best defensive numbers of his career and has been a wildly positive defensive presence in a way that he has not in the past, which is like a full credit to him. Again, he's playing alongside guys like Mobley and Allen, but Mobley's been hurt too. So last three games, 45, 34, 31, won all five, including the two prior to that. Look, I've been a critic of Mitchell in the past. I just have loved everything I've seen, and I think that he has stepped up in a way that should be credited to in the absence of Garland. We'll say that Jalen Brunson here is the second backcourt member for the reasons that you are that you were getting into before I very rudely interrupted you. Uh, Brunson has taken a step up from deep this year. He was already an all-star last year, but he is shooting, yes, 42% from deep. When he was shooting 41 last year, he's just upticked the volume. And despite uh, Becky Hammond's thoughts, I do consider him to be one of the best point guards in the league. And as a as an all-star backcourt member, that is to be acknowledged. He's taking two more threes than he ever has while continuing to increase efficiency. He is scraping the edge of 27 points a game. And there are nights where against even like going to the top of the east there are nights against like the tatums and the Embiid's of the world where he oftentimes looks like the most dominant player on the floor and new york loves him which is why i think that both from fanbo and coach vote he's going to get in moving down the front court jalen brown backcourt mate to or front court mate to tatum putting up similar numbers still playing defense best team in the league not really that Hard to argue. And then for the two other front court spots, I had a lot of trouble going through this because I thought of guys like even Siakam. I thought of guys like Paolo, who despite the Magic being probably better than expected, has struggled efficiency-wise and is still an overall negative presence when on the court. Granted, he's 20, 21. That'll change. But despite the base numbers, I'm not super confident in that. Cunningham has put up decent numbers. He's on the possibly worst team ever and isn't enough of a razor with those statistics. He's not a hardened 32 points a night guy that can drag you to a few wins by himself. It's just not enough. Defense is questionable too, and he turns it over a lot. I thought about Porzingis, but for a reason that I will get to in a second here, I do not want four Celtics on the All-Star team. And then who I ended up on was Bam Adebayo, who... Has missed games himself, but it's played more than Jimmy Butler, and in Butler's absence has been great. He 
He has scored more. He has rebounded amazingly. And he is taking his claim for Defensive Player of the Year once more. If the season ended today, I think I would choose him. He is alongside Hakez and Hero, who's been up and down, but at least a stable offensive presence. He has been the reason that the Heat are able to be as good as they are in the absence of Jimmy. Hakez, too. Look, the Heat are weird, and I will never pretend to know how they end up being as good as they are. But right now, they are 24-17, and 17, despite having a worse net rating than the Kings. So, like... Eventually, you have to credit that to someone, and they have a borderline top 10 defense primarily because of their center in the middle. I feel comfortable with Bam. And then the other person I landed on, and I quibbled about this a lot, is I chose Scotty Barnes because not a favoritism to the Canada leaning of certain other friends that you are able to listen to here on the network, but running through the stats, he's 28 and 5.6 assists. He is shooting 37% from three, 48 from the field overall. His free throw percentage is... But he's still playing the same level of at least on-ball defense from everything that I can ascertain. And then I, like... We're coming down to the wire here on purpose, and I'm factoring in most recent games. He just put up 31 last night, and when... I am quibbling between guys. Sometimes one day, one game can make all the difference. So I landed on Scotty. Plus, I've wanted one upstart to receive some amount of recognition for his contributions. And I think Scotty has made a big enough leap to even be considered for like most improved player. So I feel confident with that. But if you want to put in Siakam, hell, if you want to put in Paolo, even though I don't agree with it, I wouldn't stop you. That's just where I landed. Final two wild cards. Derek White has been like, I don't even want to say a superstar role player because I think that diminishes just how good he is on his own merit. There have been times when he is the second best player on a team that can justify four all-stars. If you really want to convince yourself and be a homer, I think you could realistically talk me into having Tatum, Brown, White, and Porzingis on the All-Star team. Efficiency-wise, 47, 41, 90. Best of his career, 16, 4, and 5. Doesn't jump off the page, but he is stable. He plays on the best team in the league, which I know can sometimes be overrated, but when you're one of the most important players on the best team in the NBA, that has to be given credit to because it's not like they're getting worse because of you if you're being talked about or like he is just he it's funny because he used to be on the Spurs but he's the kind of guy that fits into that quote-unquote beautiful offense bullshit that they were doing earlier in the 2010s where he doesn't make a wrong pass he takes good shots he makes good shots he's a positive presence on both ends and I just want players like that to be recognized he has also been durable, playing 37 of 41. He keeps his usage under 20% in his role while playing 32 minutes a game. His true shooting is at 63. He shoots well from everywhere but the mid-range, but that's not his game. I think that if you want to go pure production, you say him below someone like Trey Young, 
who I I am really reluctantly putting at the second wild card, purely because I watched the Hawks play the Magic the other night. DeJounte Murray hit a game winner, but he didn't pass it to Trey coming up the court, and Trey didn't even cross half court. Gave a major Brooke Lopez walking off after Dan's game winner kind of vibes, and I really hate that. So it's between him and Pascal. I just think that Trey's raw production can't be denied, especially in a East field that, like, going through it felt kind of weak. So I will put Trey. It does not put good feelings in my stomach, though. Yeah, I mean, you talked about all the guys that I put on my reserves. So I just had Cade Cunningham, Maxie, and Bam. Yeah, look, again, I want to recognize that Cade has come back and looked better, and then even over the course of this shitty season has been improved and looked more like a connector and has cut down on his turnovers to a degree. Even in these bad games, they're keeping him closer. But it, he's part of the problem, and I can't in good conscience reward anyone on a team that currently has four wins on January 19th. Do you have any thoughts to add on any of these? Do you think that I'm stupid for any of them? No. Like I've said, my feelings with Trey Young, um, I do think he is still an all-star. I do think out of the four guys you put as the wild card number two, I think that is probably the best one and the one that's most likely to go. I think if we're going by prediction, I think Trey's going to make it. But yeah. Out of the, like, instead of Banchero, Siakam, and Porzingis, yeah. yeah. I think that's pretty much a given. But I'm very excited. I'm excited to see the skills weekend. That's going to be fun. And then do they do the World versus USA game still? Yeah. Nice. That's going to be a fun one, too. I agree. Look, I think All-Star Weekend is most of the time a joke, but talking about this is fun, and any uh, any chance to acknowledge and have a little checkpoint on how people are doing does often help. I'm also excited. I did think about Chet in the West and... I didn't really consider Wemby for the same reasons that I can't really consider Cade, although I think Wemby has been more demonstrably effective on his team's chance of winning. Uh, they're both going to be there in some capacity. Wemby has already said that he's going to be in the skills challenge. There's no way that they wouldn't let Wemby be there in some capacity. I I would be very surprised if either of them got voted in as reserves, but if they do, I won't be that mad. So... Raven, do you have anything left to plug before we get up on out of here? Um, just subscribe, rate, and check out all the other podcasts at Alethio Network. You know, we got the On the Gravel coming up on Monday, so that's exciting. We got a new episode of Daily Hockey that's going to come out right after this episode. So that's all for me. Thank you, Raven. Good luck on your hysterectomy later. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode. Uh, I'll see you all on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Bye, everyone.